The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Laura Dunham, is a retired Presbyterian minister, now Catholic, and a Benedictine oblate. She holds a BA in social sciences and an MA and PhD in English. Following careers in higher education and financial planning, she felt God's call to ministry and attended Columbia Theological Seminary. She received an MDiv and later a certificate in spiritual formation from Columbia. Before retiring, Laura served as a pastor of churches and held leadership positions on nonprofit boards of directors. Her 2002 book, Graceful Living, Your Faith, Values, and Money in Changing Times, was commissioned by the Ecumenical Stewardship Center. In 2012, Laura published Path of the Purified Heart, The Spiritual Journey as Transformation. A new book due out in September is, is titled Extraordinary Time, Spiritual Reflections from a Season with Cancer, Death, and Transition. Laura, welcome to NDE Radio. Thanks so much, Lee. It's good to be with you. It's good to have you here. Laura, before we begin, I should mention um, you and I will be part of a chaplain's panel discussion at the IONS Conference coming up later this month in Bellevue, Washington. As part of that discussion, I believe you're going to talk a little about some of the Christian mystics of history. And since a lot of our listeners won't be there, I wonder, could we begin by talking a little about Christian mystics and how they relate to near-death experience? I'd be happy to do that, Lee. You know, the, the theme of IONS this year is sharing the gifts of NDEs. That is, once you've had the experience and you've reflected on it for a time, what are the gifts that it's brought to your life? How, how did you uh, identify those and how are you bringing them forth? So uh, in, in light of that theme, um, I wanted to to comment on the uh, extraordinary experiences that people have had, such as NDEs or the Spiritually Transformative Experiences, or STEs, um, as they might find a meaningful context uh, in terms of uh, being in conversation with the Christian mystics. Um, you know, the, these, these experiences are so unusual, and, and uh, certainly in the case of NDEs, cause uh, serious trauma not only to the body, but but to the spirit and the emotions and the mind, so that when one comes back from such an experience, it takes time uh, to reflect on what has happened. We see that uh, kind of reflection going on with Christian mystics from Paul the Apostle in, in Scripture uh, to Julian of Norwich to Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, uh, up through our own time uh, with uh, Thomas Merton, for example. These are some of the mystics that I want to connect with uh, in my talk at IONS. But let me just start with uh, with uh, Paul because uh, he's so familiar to, to so many people, uh, on one level at least. Uh, but Paul uh, truly was a mystic. He wouldn't have thought of himself that way, but the kinds of experiences that he had uh, clearly show that he was uh, chosen for a special role by God, and when he was knocked to the ground on that famous experience um, on the road to Damascus, 
uh, everything was transformed in his life, just like people who've had an STE or an NDE. And what did he do? Well, he was blinded and he had to, to heal from that before he could even even speak or see. But then what did he do? He went out into the desert for a couple of years to try to find some answers. And his experience there uh, bore a lot of fruit that he then brought back into his life and his ministry because he knew that he was given a special charge. And from that point on, he saw visions, revelations. He had um, special experiences. At one point, he talks in the second letter to Corinthians about how he was caught up into the third heaven. And I know some of those who have had NDEs have had uh, uh, not dissimilar kinds of experiences where you're taken to a place of light and love and beauty and uh, greeted by uh, uh, beings of light. And uh, uh, when you come back from something so extraordinary, you want to be in conversation with someone like Paul or someone like uh, Julian of Norwich. Um, so I'll, I'll just continue with that unless you'd like to inter, interject something. No, let, let's go on. I, um, uh, I think um, ND, NDEers love Paul because what he describes sounds so much like a near-death experience. But mm-hmm. uh, our listeners are probably less familiar with, with the other um, mystics that you mentioned. So why don't you go sure. on from there? Well, uh, one that comes to mind is Julian of Norwich. Uh, two of our keynoters at IONS this year are Drs. Evan Alexander and Mary uh, Neal. Both of them had extended um, NDEs so that they received a lot more input uh, from the afterlife than than many who come back more quickly. Uh, So these extended NDEs required even more uh, reflection from them uh, over the years. And they they both wrote initial books that showed that they were having some challenges in kind of transforming from this uh, rational scientific worldview to one that was more of the spirit, because an NDE is, is clearly a spiritual experience, and I don't think either one of them had the context uh, to talk about that. In their second books, they've done considerably more reflection, and um, Eben Alexander went more toward consciousness studies and Mary Neal more toward uh, evangelical Christianity, but uh, uh, brings to mind that a conversation partner for both of them would might be Julian of Norwich. She was a late 14th, early 15th century mystic who was an anchorite. That is, she was um, contained in a cell um, uh, that was set up for her in a church next to uh, the Church of St. Julian in, in uh, Norwich, England, uh, after which she's named. And there were only three openings in the cell. One was to receive uh, food and give back uh, her, uh, her, her, uh, you know, empty plates. The second one was open to uh, the church, uh, so that she could participate in mass and receive the Eucharist every day. And the third one was open to the street, where, when her window was open, she could give spiritual counsel based on her experience uh, to the people of the town people who came by seeking uh, spiritual direction from her. Uh, When she was about 30 years old, uh, she asked to receive the the suffering of Christ. Uh, She asked for, uh, uh, she wanted to experience his passion, and she was gifted with 16 visions, which she retained and reflected on for the rest of her life. And she records these both in a shorter version 
And then in the longer version, 20 years later, you really see the fruit of her reflection and her prayer, her contemplation, because all she did in her life really was to pray and reflect on her relationship with God and Christ and want to draw closer to him and union as so many of the Christian mystics do. That's their object, not to have these kinds of extraordinary experiences. That's not it at all. Many of them have them from time to time, but this is at God's bidding, not theirs. And their purpose is to to know and love Christ more deeply and to follow him more closely. So Julian's um, reflections, you know, both immediately and then um, 20 years later, uh, which were, were so mature and beautiful, uh, just uh, struck me that she'd be a great conversation partner for uh, these two keynoters I mentioned or any of our uh, guests who have had NDEs. Um, we might move on to Teresa of Avila, who's another well-known person who's written so beautifully of her own experiences. Um, and, you know, she was a very practical woman, too. She was a, a Carmelite. Uh, she and John of the Cross, who was a friend and her spiritual director for a while, um, really, although they were both mystics, they both spent many, many years traveling around Spain establishing new convents and uh, houses of uh, for the Discalced Carmelites, more rigorous form of the Carmelite uh, order, um, devoted to prayer and contemplation. That That's their charism. Um, and yet she wrote so beautifully about prayer. Uh, her texts on prayer and on drawing closer to God uh, in a... Um, a book like in The Interior Castle, are just marvelous. And I was reading recently a, a letter that she wrote to her Carmelite sisters about uh, uh, the sweetness of, of Christ and how he came to her. She had these amazing ecstasies that would go on for long periods of time and was observed in these when she would just kind of go out there out of body and she was just uh, you know, united with with Christ and communion with Christ, and she talks about how sweet those experiences were and how they filled the soul, so ineffable and so beautiful, and they really help us to see what it's like to be in that kind of a communion, which is the uh, the purpose of the spiritual journey. You know, that path of the purified heart that I wrote about, uh, which takes us uh, through transformation to. Uh, moments of illumination like these that the mystics uh, record for us, and then uh, to the spiritual marriage, as the religious would talk about it, or you know the union of the soul uh, with Christ, or some are more God-centered with God. Um, her, her, uh, uh, Teresa's confrere, uh, John of the Cross, is so interesting as well. Uh, he was more contemplative even than she was, and more austere in some ways. Um, wrote such beautiful poetry, you know, The Ascent to, to Mark, Mount Carmel, The Dark Night of the Soul, and others, you know, his spiritual canticles. And, you know, when he, he and Teresa would get together to pray sometimes, and they would just levitate uh, because the energy was so, so high when, when they were together. Um, I, I can imagine, because I used to do spiritual energy healing, and it just being in that kind of energy, you'd probably lift off yourself. <laughs> um, and John's uh, expressions of the soul's progress through, um, you know, these stages that I just uh, mentioned, you know, the um, the purgation or purification of the soul, preparing itself to 
uh, receive the illumination, the light of God, and then to be in communion with God. Uh, that's really what he uh, wrote about for the most part. So many people are familiar with the title, The Dark Night of the Soul, but mm-hmm. uh, some people in um, distressing NDEs actually experience uh, a darkness and, a, yes. and sometimes a fearful darkness. Maybe mm-hmm. you could uh, talk a little about what he meant when he said The Dark Night of the Soul. Well, John, yeah, John chose what we call the uh, via negativa, uh, the apophatic way, that is, the way of emptiness, of negativity, of nothingness, of um, being willing to, to, you know, just to give up all uh, connection with the material world in order to come with your soul bare before God uh, and to commune deeply with God. There were two dark nights that he spoke about. Uh, the dark night of more of the beginners is the dark night of the senses, uh, where you just feel cut off from God. Uh, even Teresa of Avila had a very dry period that she wrote about. I mean, Mother Teresa in our own time spoke about the dryness uh, yes. that she had in her prayer life and so on. And yet she went on day after day after day um, with her works of charity, and eventually she passed through that. The second dark night, which you don't get to have until you've really moved down this path, is the dark night of the spirit, and and that's the one that's that's more intense, and uh, in which um, not only John but other mystics, like the fifth century mystic um, we know as pseudo Dionysus, um, speak of the brilliant darkness that there's this illumination within the darkness that comes. Um, that when we have quieted ourselves so that we can receive it, and that's uh, something much to be treasured rather than feared. But few of us get to that point on this side. Uh, remember, the mystics and, and other contemplatives uh, have as their their soul's purpose, really, uh, this communion with God and then bringing forth the fruits of that into their life experience. The um, uh, visions that... Teresa had uh, uh, some some of them sound very much like the visions that people have had on near death experiences. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. describe what she saw as a as a the setting for heaven? Well, she she talked about the the you know the, the seven mansions of the soul. Uh, you go back to John's gospel, the um, when Jesus said to his disciples in his farewell discourse that. Um, uh, you know, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places or mansions in some trans, uh, translations. And I go to prepare a place for you. And I think the afterlife is like that. And, um, you know, the, the medieval and uh, early Renaissance mystics were very much into systems and, and you know, three of this and seven of that. So uh, the seven levels uh, that she talks about are... Um, uh, really to be to be uh, I think read and and experienced but she doesn't really go into the last three because they're too mysterious and too hidden and and really should not be talked about. I think a lot of people who have had NDEs and STEs have had difficulty talking about them. They're so ineffable, so noetic in the sense that you know they're you're in a in a, uh, a liminal space between. Uh, this dimension and that dimension, and it's not like anything you've experienced before. 
So finding the words to talk about it are difficult, and, and people don't believe that you've had it, although you'll always find some who understand what you're, what you're talking about. Um, but uh, you, you want to be able to, uh, to have this, this context that I'm suggesting the Christian, Christian mystics can offer that will help you to, uh, in your reflection, a deep reflection about what is, has gone on uh, for you uh, and why it's happened. I mean, how do you interpret your experience? You know, what and who are your models? Uh, and, and for all of these mystics, and you know, I can take us up to you know, Edith Underhill and Thomas Merton in our own time, it's, it, love is the key to Christian mysticism. It's all about relationship with communion with God, communion with Jesus. Yes. Uh, wisdom, yes, knowledge, but uh, um, other gifts like discernment uh, and, and prayer and uh, contemplation are, are part of the practices that bring us uh, to this knowledge and, and wisdom, but also the experience of love. And I think that's really what Teresa experienced in her ecstasy, so I uh, hope that will, will help yes. others. One of the uh, things that has always struck me about near-death experiences, not only are they similar in many ways, but um, they are very personal as well. They're very personalized yeah. visions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost, you know, when you mentioned uh, Jesus saying he's going to prepare a place, it's as if the, some of these um, near-death experiences were specifically prepared so that the person going through a near-death experience would would get the most value out of it the most revelation given their where they were coming from originally and perhaps mm-hmm. uh do you think those many mansions reference uh, references are uh, concerning a a personalized heaven when we get there as well Oh, I think uh, I think that's uh, that's a very uh, very intuitive um, and deep question, Lee. And, and in my experience, yes, everyone's experience is is slightly different. Uh, and we we can participate in the in the creation of those as well. Um, one of the other panelists uh, on our panel at IONS is is uh, my friend, the Dominican priest Nathan Castle. And in his work, uh, he talks about this uh, a great deal more. And I hope that you'll have an opportunity to talk with him on this show as well so that people who can't attend the, the panel uh, will hear from him. But his experience would certainly verify uh, what you're talking about, um, that people have choice. I mean, we're given free will even in, in death. And as many NDEers know, um, you're often given uh, a chance to choose to go on, uh, to stay there, or to come back. Uh, and some don't want to come back because they feel this this intense, beautiful love uh, that like they've never had before, or they've gone through the life review, they've gotten that far, and that kind of brings in you know the question of um, what we call in the Christian tradition uh, last things, you know, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Well, it, judgment uh, is is always uh, wrapped in mercy, and uh, the life review uh, is that experience of having a chance to see how you've impacted other people's lives uh, for better or for worse. And in the afterlife, to prepare yourself to um, continue the process of of purification and illumination. So many of the experiences, I think, that are designed for us in the afterlife 
are exactly what we need to take us on in this continual journey of transformation and and conversion that uh, the religious and the monastics and the mystics talk about. Where in the uh, uh, Christian mysticism experiences would you place uh, the visions of Mary, such as Fatima and Magigoria? That's an interesting question. Um, uh, there's another one as well that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I, I teach groups and lead retreats on the Christian mystics, and I'm doing one uh, at uh, St. Andrew's Abbey in Valermo, California, uh, in January, uh, called Four Spanish Mystics, uh, which includes Ignatius of Loyola, um, Teresa, and John, but also uh, uh, one called uh, Maria de Agreda, uh, who most people don't know about, but who is fascinating, 17th century um, Franciscan woman, and she uh, received uh, visions from Mary that uh, through which she dictated, Mary dictated her entire uh, autobiography, uh, which uh, Maria de Agreda wrote up as the mystical city of God. So you start from that kind of thing, and, and your private revelations are, are kind of frowned upon in the church because they're hard to verify. And she was subjected to uh, the Inquisition, to um, people in her order, as well as uh, you know, in the culture, uh, really looking closely at her visions, the same way that Fatima and Lourdes and, and Medjugorje, I've been to Medjugorje, um, you know, are, are need verification because of the perceptions of, of children or young people. Um, you know, their their innocence in a way, and and their the purity of heart is one of the reasons that Mary chooses them to come through. Uh, but they also need that kind of context that we've been talking about to interpret what they have seen and passed on. Uh, others have interpreted that for them. Uh, but I think uh, there are many of those kinds of legitimate uh, revelations that come to people. Uh, certainly, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, in the uh, you know in in modern times uh, was huge that revelation and so many confirmations. It's the confirmations afterwards that are important too. I know when I had you know my own uh, experience of being tapped by God to go into the professional ministry, uh, it was so overwhelming and so clear to me that I I couldn't believe it. I there was no choice for me but to obey what I had received, but at the same time, I asked for confirmation, and I got it in some unusual ways. So, um, And part of the process leading to ordination in any denomination or part of the church is uh, others confirming that you have the gifts, that you have received this, this call, uh, that you are ready to proceed, uh, and you continue to prepare yourself in many ways you know, to serve uh, the Lord and to serve the church in that way. One of the unfortunate things about um, many people who have near-death experiences is that they find their churches don't meet their needs after the NDE. They uh, they drop out of their out of organized religion altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is where is religion falling short in your opinion? Uh, how, why why aren't their needs being met by the Catholics and the Protestants? Well, I, I think it, it all comes down to spiritual formation. 
I think that there's a, a sad lack of spiritual formation across the whole church. I mean, serious, deep spiritual formation. This is the kind of thing that I have uh, engaged with for years. You know, after seminary, um, you know, I, I did the certificate in spiritual formation because I wanted more and deeper. I began to walk with the Benedictines and became an oblate of that monastic order um, because I wanted more and, and going deeper uh, in, in spiritual formation. And I found it there, and I find it in places in the church, like um, you know the, the whole history of Christian spirituality, which is a whole cut above what we usually hear about uh, um, in in the church, uh, most churches you know kind of stop with with baptism and new member uh, um, uh, education to the extent that it is the, the the Catholic Church at least has the um, teachings we call the rite of Christian initiation for adults that go on over a year to prepare people for baptism, as in the time of Augustine, you know the fourth and fifth centuries and uh, through the late antiquity and the early Middle Ages. You know, uh, it took a couple of years for people to be prepared for baptism, and they were, you know, uh, escorted out of the mass, uh, uh, you know, before the, the 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 gospel and the homily in in many cases for centuries because they weren't prepared to hear those things. Well, we're still not prepared to hear those things, but the churches aren't, uh, as a on the whole, really offering much in the way of deep spiritual formation. That's been kind of my hobby horse for, for some time. And when I was living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, um, a few years ago, I got together with a, an ecumenical group of friends in that community, many of whom were spiritual directors and church leaders and, and other ministers, and we formed uh, this ecumenical Friends of Christ School for Christian Spirituality, which is now going into, I guess, the sixth or seventh year, in order to offer people uh, the basics uh, of Christian spirituality, a, a class on the spiritual journey as transformation, a, a class on spiritual wisdom and guidance that introduced them to uh, the saints and the mystics and the whole communion of saints, a class on practices for the journey, which introduced them to uh, the basic practices of the Christian faith, like Lexio Divina, sacred reading, which involves meditation and contemplation, um, you know, other forms of prayer and so on, a class on discernment, which is such a crucial thing. Ignatius of Loyola had, had developed in the spiritual exercises, which I sometimes guide people through, um, on uh, you know the, the way in which we discern uh, what is of God, what is not of God, what is of evil or the dark side, or whatever you want to call it. And people don't have those skills. Um, they don't have a rule of life to follow. Uh, even within the church, uh, when they have experiences like NDEs and STEs. But I'm telling you, folks, it's there, and it's there in the Christian spiritual tradition, and we need to reclaim that. You mentioned Thomas Merton, and mm -hmm. even though he's had a Trappist background, which yeah. meant deep, deep contemplation and meditation, yeah. he still found um, uh, a lot of interest and value in Eastern religions. He uh, did. Yeah. yeah, and he drew on that. Well, he did, and he was exploring Buddhism, as you know, uh, at the time of his death. Um, he was very interested in that, and and there are you know so many at the at the, in the at the highest levels of all the great world religions, um, there are many commonalities. 
uh, and significant differences. I think uh, where the Christian tradition uh, stands apart is in um, our personal relationship, uh, our, our personal communion with God and the communion of saints on both sides of the veil, um, which is something that a lot of people are really searching for, that kind of spiritual companioning that's available to us. Um, and I, I think a lot of uh, people in our society who are not a part of, of any religious tradition or even a spiritual tradition are are endless seekers, you know, uh, seeking through practices um, what they can't find uh, in the culture, and yet they don't really have the the whole tradition. They don't, they're not uh, not as familiar with it as uh, they might be, so that they could be rooted in that tradition. So I think the deep rootedness and experiencing whatever the religious tradition is that they've chosen, the spiritual tradition. Uh, without just wandering from one uh, spiritual practice to another is is really going to be important uh, for people's understanding as they begin to process these extraordinary experiences that we've all had. Yes. Laura, unfortunately, we're just about out of time for today. And I want you to have the chance to tell the audience how they might find um, uh, copies of your books. Well, uh, anywhere books are sold, uh, my, my publisher, Cascade Books, uh, will be bringing out Extraordinary Time, uh, Spiritual Reflections from a Season with Cancer, Death, and Transition next month, I believe. Uh, so look for it wherever uh, books are sold. And also you can, uh, there'll be a link on my website, which is laura-dunham, D-U-N-H-A-M dot com. Very good. Well, thank you. Uh, Laura Dunham for being on the show. I look forward to working with you at the IONS conference later this month. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I've enjoyed our conversation, and I will look forward to meeting you too. Yes. (laughs) And uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, but your uh, your friend, uh, I'm hoping that he'll be available next Monday, and perhaps we can continue uh, with the discussion that you and I have started here. Um, Well, you'll enjoy talking with him. Um, I, I look forward to it. Uh, if anyone in the audience would like to hear this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the Past Shows button. For more information about IONS, including the upcoming annual conference near Seattle, Washington, please go to their website at iands.org. And please join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.